We're in the book of Daniel. We just started a series just this last week uh, on Daniel. And um, just to give you a little bit of background, we talked about this last week, and that is that uh, Daniel is, is a part of Israel, Judah. And uh, what has happened is that Nebuchadnezzar and his, his army has come uh, into uh, Judah, and he has uh, taken a, a bunch of people captive. He's taken uh, the cream of the crop. He's taken these, um, these uh, people who've been a part of uh, the royal court and things of that na- nature, the nobility and so forth, and he's taken them back to his hometown um, and, and to Babylon there. And basically what he's doing is he's looking to brainwash them. We talked about last week that he's, he's looking to isolate them. He's looking to indoctrinate them. He's looking uh, to find ways to get them to compromise on what they believe, and he's looking to confuse them, to ultimately infuse them with Babylonian culture. And what we talked about last week is that uh, in the same way that those people are in exile, meaning they're in captivity in another country, in the same way that those people are in exile, we are also in exile. And the problem is, is that we don't really recognize that. We have come to believe uh, uh, wrongly uh, that we live in a Christian nation, when in reality we don't really live in a Christian nation. We live in a a nation that was influenced by Judeo-Christian values, perhaps the Ten Commandments on some level. Um, We live in a nation that's been influenced at one point or another by morality, but things are much different today. So even though it wasn't necessarily Christian at the beginning, beginning um, it, it, is, it is definitely not now. And so we are very much those of us that know and love Jesus Christ as our Savior and walk with him. We are not in a Christian nation. We're actually in a, a culture that is very much against our values now, we could have some issues with this, and we could say, you know, I, I don't really like all this talk about, you know, how we have to fight the culture. We're not talking about a, a culture war. We're talking about influencing a culture. We're not looking to create a war with our culture um, like the, uh, in, in some ways, the uh, old Christian political movement called the moral majority would assert uh, I would say that they would assert that. That may not be 100% true across the board, but in, in many respects, uh, Christianity has seen itself at war with many of these uh, opposing forces, uh, basically pushing behind um, sexuality and, and, um, and uh, abortion and just uh, morality as, as a theme in our culture. We have seen ourselves as at war with this, and we've been trying to win that. And some people believe that we're at this, uh, the, this precipice where we're going to defeat this immorality in our country and, and so forth through the latest election period. And I, I, I think that it might be safe to say that that's not going to happen. I think we can see that pretty clearly. And so we want to be sober-minded about where we're actually at. Like, where is our country actually at, and what should our response be? What should that look like? And really what we talked about was that there's uh, this psalm that just talks about how you know, the people of Israel are on the banks of the, you know, the waters of Babylon, 
and they've been taken captive, and their captors are saying to them, like, hey, play us one of your tunes from, from your, your church. You know, play us one of the old ditties that you, uh, that you used to play. And they're saying, how shall we sing the songs of God? It says this in Psalm 137.4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we sing the Lord's song? And that's the question that we want to ask in reality throughout this entire series is that how are you going to sing and how am I going to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How are we going to sing that? Well, the first thing we got to realize is that we are in a foreign land and that everything that comes at you or most things that come at you in our culture are meant to throw you off. It's, it's meant to confuse you, to confuse your identity. This is who you really are. Your desires are who you are. It's, it's meant to indoctrinate you and to change you uh, from the inside out. And we don't really see it. We don't see it as that. It comes in under the radar. And so all throughout our culture, we see all of these influences that are taking place in our lives. And increasingly, we're becoming more isolated we're becoming more isolated from our home church as people who are not Christian at all, I believe, say, you know what, you can, you can be a Christian and not really be a part of God's people. But God's people is what God is doing. God is creating a people for himself. He is drawing them together. When you don't love God's people and you're not connected with a local church and you just say, to heck with it, I'm just not going to attend a local church. Or, and really, it's not about a building. It's about a group of people that you're investing in and you are also being invested in. So when you become somebody who's isolated, you're missing the point. You're missing the point completely, and basically what you're doing is you are drinking the Kool-Aid of our culture, and you're saying, you know what, it's okay for me to be isolated and outside of God's people because, you know, it's just me and Jesus and my Bible, and in reality, you're just completely disobedient to the scriptures. You're just totally missing it. You're just completely missing it. And so uh, he's been trying to isolate them. And then secondly, what our culture is, is trying to do is, is it's, it's trying to indoctrinate us. And so we might, I think we briefly talked about this just this last week, but this indoctrination, I want to make sure that this is clear. That's why I'm repeating myself. But this indoctrination is happening all throughout our lives. I talked about cell phones and how they're indoctrinating our kids. And our kids are becoming more depressed uh, more likely to kill themselves, more likely to harm themselves, more likely to live a sedentary lifestyle as a result of constantly looking at the screen of a cell phone. But adults are no different. We, just, we have the faculties to be able to not kill ourselves most of the time and not take that out on other people per se. But the truth is, is that we're being indoctrinated every moment of the day when you go to the bathroom, when you're on the road. We're making laws now so that you can't be indoctrinated while you're driving down the road, you know? Um, we, we're being indoctrinated through a constant influx and constant uh, intake of technology and social media. We're being indoctrinated through all of the shows that we're binge watching. We're being indoctrinated through the things that we're watching. And little by little, those things are, are um, ripping away at our moral bearings. Those things, the shows that you and I uh, find ourselves watching sometimes are, are getting deeper and deeper into things that are off limits. I talked to a friend recently who said uh, that he knows a large percentage of his friends who are, um, they are uh, swapping uh, uh, husbands and wives. They're, they're, they're swingers. 
It's, it's happening. All, and, and I was like, are you serious? He said, Matt, you would not believe it. You would not believe how many people are, are swinging these days. How many people are swinging? And what's happening here? What's happening? Our culture is saying, you know, like, you know, one is not good enough. Uh, sex with one woman or with one man is not good enough. I want something else. Our culture is influencing us. And I am betting, I know that that's infiltrated into the church as well. We're being indoctrinated by all of these things. And somehow we believe that these things are okay. We're continuously being indoctrinated. And sooner or later, it leads to compromise, which ultimately is getting into our lives. It's tearing apart our marriages. It's tearing apart everything that we have going on. It's, tear, it's, it's tearing apart our world, and our world doesn't see it, and our world says this. You know what? The reason why this place is falling apart is because you Christians, you people who are all about morality, it's your fault because of all your hatred and all your bigotry. All your hatred and all your bigotry. I sat and saw, looked at a, um, a post on Facebook recently from um, somebody um, who had essentially just uh, destroyed his life, destroyed his family's life. And he sat, former, former uh, acting Christian, and he sat there and said, you know, all of these people and their hatred toward me and everything that they said towards me, I don't need them. I will outlast this hatred and, and so forth. And all of these people who rejected me, and I saw Christian after Christian who got on there and, and affirmed what he was doing with his life. Christian after Christ, Christian who had compromised in every possible way. And it said, you know what? Whatever you do to make yourself happy, that's where you need to be. But no one goes back and sees the kids and sees that daddy's not there. You know, his kids don't have, don't have Facebook. They can't get on and say, you know, I just miss daddy. I just miss him. I wish daddy loved mommy. I wish daddy and mommy loved each other. No one sees that. And everyone just wants to talk about, you know, it's, it's about me and my happiness. That's my morality. Do you know how many of us are constantly take, drinking the Kool-Aid and saying, you know what, compromise is okay because that's what I feel. And whatever I feel, that is my new morality. But the clear assertion from Scripture is that you are not the final judge of morality. You and I are not the final judge of what morality is. Our lives are, are absolutely riddled with this idea that somehow there is no such thing as sin. And the only thing that's sinful is some decadent dessert or ice cream that has lots of calories. That's the sin in our lives. That's, that's what's truly sinful today. And we don't recognize it as such. And do you know what? If you don't get that, you're not going to get this passage. You're not going to get this passage. Sin is real. Defilement is real. And everything in our culture is, is leading us to believe that somehow you're okay. You don't need any, any type of change. And for you to start thinking that you have any kind of sin in your life is just that's wrong, that, that's legalism, what have you. And it's, and it's leaking into the church. And so what happens is confusion. It's confusion with this generation. What is right and what is wrong? What's right for our society? What types of things should we oppose in our world today? What types of things should we vote against or vote for? 
What types of things should we say? How can I be loving to people that clearly are against God's word? So therefore, I'll just say nothing. How can I, how, how do I live in this world? How do I go to a secular job that is so antithetical to Christianity and yet live out my faith? How can I sing the songs of God in the midst of Babylon? Well, guess what? You are in Babylon. You are. You and I are there. We are in exile. And until you see that, you will not understand how to respond. You will not understand how to respond. And so Daniel is going to show us how we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. And so verse 8 through 21 says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said this, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, you, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food. The word food there is actually meat delicacies or meat. So they took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. That's the worst verse in the entire Bible, all right? <laughs> awful, awful. It's just uh, that the scriptures are inerrant, but that verse should not be there. Um, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, you look at that story, and you see the heroism that's going on there. Daniel is a hero of the faith. What we talk about oftentimes is that Daniel points to the greater hero, which is Jesus. But we do want to talk about Daniel as a hero because he kinda, he, he's kind of pointing to who Jesus is. And so we can, we can see this. But what we know is that Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, whatever the other guy's name is, but all these guys, I mean, they're heroes, they're heroes in uh, the faith. And so we look at those stories and we talk about them in, um, 
in Sunday school, if you ever went to Sunday school as a kid, um, when I was a kid, we had flannel graphs, and there was the little, you know, little things that were stuck on there, and um, it was really uh, absurd, but, you know, it, is, it, was, it, was, it is what it was, but we talk about Daniel as though he was a hero, and we say, you know, I want to be Daniel, but here's the thing, we don't understand what it takes we don't understand what it actually takes to be a hero. Sinclair Ferguson actually says this. He says, such heroism does not develop overnight, nor is it created in a vacuum. It is the mature fruit of lives and characters that have been forged by experience, by the tests and trials of the providence of God and by faithfulness and obedience to him. Present heroism, get this, present heroism cannot be explained apart from past faithfulness. Present heroism cannot be explained apart from past faithfulness. What's it gonna be like for you to live in the city of Babylon and literally work for the city of Babylon and live out your faith? How do you live as though you're a part of the kingdom of God and how do you display who God is in that? You sing the Lord's song, but you don't just sing it in this one instance. You don't just sing it, oh, when something big comes up. It happens through past faithfulness. And so it says this, it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He re resolved. He made a resolution. We make fun of New Year's resolutions. No one ever keeps them. Our, our generation, really, uh, sometimes we're making resolutions about uh, smoking or losing weight or things of that nature, and really people don't tend to live by them. We oftentimes don't really, we kind of frown upon the idea of making a resolution that I'm going to cut out this sin from my life. If you're somebody that's been a part of church culture for a long time and you understand the grace of God and Jesus Christ going to the cross, and this is actually to kind of misunderstand that, but if you understand that, you say, you know, I'm saved by grace, and so therefore I don't have to worry about the little sins in my life, and so there's never any point in our life when we're really thinking to ourselves, you know, there's a part of my life that actually needs to change. There's, ne there's never any uh, reality that happens that points to like, okay, I've got to make some changes in the things that I'm doing. I've actually got to move forward. And so we never actually take any steps towards making a resolution or resolving. And so what, what is up with that? Why are we not people who are uh, into making resolutions in our lives? Why are we not doing that? Well, as I said, we don't really even see sin as sin. We don't see sin as defilement. We, we, we joke about defilement. We joke about there being problems or, or, or sin issues in our lives. We don't really see anything as defilement. But what Daniel and his friends were clear about is that they knew the scriptures. And it's a little bit unclear as to whether he was saying, okay, I'm not going to eat this stuff because 
it's going to break the laws of God. It's not necessarily clear. There is scripture that points to that reality that like that, that meat has blood in it and so you shouldn't eat it. But the wine, there would have been nothing against the wine except there was this thing where they'd pour one out for their homies and it was, had to do with uh, you know the, the, these demons and, and their gods and so while they were drinking in Babylon and so it could have been that. It could have been a number of things. But ultimately what it very well could come down to and I think the very root of this is, is that ultimately eating that meat and drinking that wine was meant to seduce them into this culture. It was meant to tear down their defenses. It was meant to cause them to let their guard down. It was, as we call it, a gateway drug. Just enjoy this for a season. And then we'll bring in something else. And then we'll bring in something else. And you know what that looks like in our lives? It's just, it's just a little bit in this TV show. It's, it's just, it's just, it's just a, a, a little fudging in this area. It's just a little bit. It's, it's to break down. It's to cause compromise. It's in the, the little things. It seems like such a small thing, but it's a big thing. But you know what? We compromise in those things all the time. We compromise in those things all the time. A big example is, hey, we're at a conference in Vegas with my company. And hey, uh, I'm your boss, and I want to talk to you about your promotion because you've been selling, man. Let's go to the strip club. Let's talk all about how we're going to promote you, and you're going to make lots of money. That happens. Happens all the time. i got to be with those guys. I'm not going to advance in my career. Hey, listen, this is just something that we do in business. We mark it up a little bit. And so it, it, it's, just, it's just something that we do. I just need you to fill this out. I just need you to sign it. I just, just, just sign that thing, send it off. Meanwhile, you know, it's just a small thing. I didn't write it. I didn't write the invoice. I didn't make it happen. I, I just, you know, it's just, it's just a small thing. It's just a small thing. It happens in relationships. It's just a small thing. It's just a small compromise. I'm just going to go out on one date with him. You know he's a player. You know that he doesn't really love Jesus. He went to church once. Oh, yeah, he says he's a Christian. He doesn't really attend. Oh, oh, it's just a small compromise. It's just a little thing. It's just, it's just a, a little detail. It's, it's, it's just a, a small thing. It's, it's dating the wrong person. It's, it's in the midst of your marriage and you just go, you know, I'm, I'm finding this attraction towards this person of the opposite sex. Or uh, let's be real today, of the same sex too. It's just a small compromise. It's just a conversation. It's just a conversation. We're just going to have a small conversation here and it's not that big of a deal. But you know and I know that it's full on compromise. It's compromise all the way through. It happens in every area of life. It happens in your finances. It's just a small fudge on your taxes. It's just a small fudge on your, on your um, timesheet. It's just a small fudge on what you had uh, chosen to give to God, what you decided in your heart to give to God, and yet you say, you know what, I really want that car. It's a little bit bigger payment. And so it's, it's, just, it's just small compromise. And why would I even bring that up? Because that's directly connected to faith. When you, when you give to God, it's directly connected to faith. You're saying, God, I'm going to trust you with 
with the finances that you've, that you've given me. And it, it's, it's a supreme act of faith. And when you take that back, when you say, you know what? I'm, I'm not gonna give that right now. It's taking faith away. It is what is perceived to be small compromise, but it is massive. Heroism does not happen just in one big moment. It is a, a regular series of steps of past faithfulness. It's a series of steps of past faithfulness. And so how are you going to have past faithfulness in your life? Let's just say up until this point in your relationships and, every, or, and in your business or in whatever it is that, that you're thinking of right now that you know, oh, he's calling me out on this right now. Whatever you're thinking of, let, let's, let's think back to like what's, what's happened. What hasn't been right in your life? Let's do that with God. Let's uh, think through, it's, I think it's Psalm 139. Oh, there it is. Search Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous, any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting You and I are not the best judges of whether we have been compromising. We do not judge ourselves rightly. And let me tell you why we don't. Let me tell you why we don't. You, you and I are not taking any time, most likely. Not taking any time a lot of us in this room are not taking any time to examine our lives and to say to God, search me. You, you, want, you, want a, you want a fun, quiet time with God? God, where's the wickedness in my life? Where is the wickedness in my life? What's, what's, what's going on in me that's causing whatever it is that's happening in my life. God, am I doing things in my current life that are really actually wicked? And yet I've just, I, I have drank the Kool-Aid and I have taken them in as though this is okay. Everyone shacks up before they get, they get married. So I'm gonna shack up before I get married. I'm gonna live in, uh, in this relationship with this woman because I've gotta test drive this car. Everyone's, everyone's doing it. That's compromise. That's compromise. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. This is saying to God, God, this, this is the prayer that he always answers the believer. Search me. Like, tell me what is, what's going on, what's happening in my life, what's taking place, what's going on. So it's, it's spending time in in the word and really asking God and spending time in quietness, not just listening to sermons, but allowing the silence to reverberate in your life and saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to point this out. Do you know what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ and to say, it's not that I don't have sin, that, that I don't have sin in my life. I am assured of the fact that I live in a human body, this body of flesh 
this body of sin that I have not fully been released from yet. So I am assured of this, that I have sin in my life. And the only question is, God, where is it? Where is it? How do I find it? Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's what it looks like to sit down and say, God, I just, I just need to process with you. But when you binge watch and I binge watch and, and, and when we are engrossed in massive social media overload, when, when, when we are constantly hearing this stuff, I, I think Denzel Washington had this video with some BBC reporter, and, and he says, what are the long-term effects of too much information? He says, do you know? Do I know? I, I, don't, he said, I don't think we know yet, but, he, but he's basically saying, I don't think it's good. Too much information. God has created you with a mind to think. What does it look like to sing the songs of God? It's thinking about God. It's asking him to search you. You want to walk with Jesus? Start there. Start there. It's saying, God, I want you to search me. I want you to find what's going on with my life. And then it's really understanding, okay, what does it look like to be defiled in this culture? What does God say is off limits, and where is my culture at? Now, here's what's really interesting about Daniel and, and his friends, is that they were going through three years of this indoctrination. And what did they have to go through? I think I mentioned this last week, and that is that they're constantly going through all types of teaching, all types of literature. They're being taught all kinds of wacky things, they're, they're, they're learning about this culture, so that's an incredible thing. But the, the other thing that they're learning is they're learning about sinful things. They're learning about the occult. They're supposed to be a part of this group of people that includes magicians and wise men and people that use divination. They look at the birds and they go, oh, the bird, the bird flew that way and so you're dead. You know, like they, that's, they, they, they just tell the future based on wacky things. And so that's what they were being taught on a regular basis was all of this stuff. And so they're going through this. And you know, our world is no different except one of the things that we do is that we oftentimes throw such a fit because we had to sit there and listen to something. I was talking to somebody recently that, that said they work in a government agency and they, were, they had to be sat down and they had to watch a, a video about how to refer to transgender people and things of that nature. Now, transgender people, they are ultimately, they are humans. That they were created in the image of God, male and female. God has determined their gender. However, that also means that as a believer, I respect them. I still love them. They're still a person created in God's image. I'm not going to perpetuate the lie that says that they are whatever they think that they are. However, what this does mean is that sometimes we have to sit through pretty ridiculous things, and especially if you work in government, especially if you work in government in, uh, in uh, Oregon, all right? There's some wacky stuff. There's some things that they're going to have to make it through. But look at where Daniel planted his flag. He said, I'll listen to it. I'll smile and nod. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, sure, okay, sounds good. 
oh, you want me to defile myself? No. No. I'm not doing it. I'm not. Look at what he, look at what he did. And Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. How did he resolve that he was not going to defile himself? He says this. Um, he says, okay, verse 11. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief and the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. In some translations, it says, please test your servants for 10 days. What does he do? He goes to his authority and he says, listen, would you please do this for me? Would you, in all kindness. He goes to them and, and he says, you know, I, I cannot defile myself. He tells them the real reason behind it. I am a follower of Yahweh. Now look at everything that's taken place as a result. Like, uh, they've tried to change his name from something about Yahweh or something about God, about his true God, and they've tried to change it to these false gods. They've tried to confuse him, but he comes back and he says this, my identity is not in the name that you gave me. My identity is in my creator, and my identity says this. It says that I cannot defile myself with this. Now, do you need to use the word defile? I don't think that you do. But I think what you can do is it doesn't matter where you are in life, but you can come back and you can say to your superior, to the person that you're doing business with, to your boss, whatever it looks like, and you can say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And this I, I, I cannot do for you. And here's another thing that you can do. We've seen stories throughout the news of how people have responded in some of these instances. I was not there. I don't know how they responded. But if they responded with this, I'm a Christian and I'm not doing this. I'm a Christian and that's defilement. That's debauchery. That's, you know, whatever. That is inflaming people. But what we can do is we can go to our superior and say, I can't fill that out because I'm a believer. Do you think that we could come up with a way that I don't have to be involved in that? Because it, is, it's, it would actually be wrong for me to do that. It would actually be wrong for me to be a part of that because I'm a lover of Jesus Christ and I can't walk in that. Do you see how he treats them? And he even comes up with a creative idea. He says, okay, you're, you fear that you're gonna lose your head, that's fine. Can we try this for 10 days? How about if we just try it? Do you see the, the, the grace and the kindness that he uses in the midst of this situation as he says, you know what, I can't be involved in that. I cannot be involved in that. But how does that, how does that even happen? Well, it happens in the beginning. It happens way in the beginning with the small steps of compromise that you didn't take. It starts with, I'm not going to compromise on this because when I come to them and I say, I can't defile myself in this situation, they look back through my life and they say, yeah, but I saw him or her compromise here and I saw him compromise there and I saw him compromise there and the accuser, who is Satan, is going to constantly come out to you and just say, look, I saw you do that there. I saw you do that here. I saw you do that there. Why would you make a stink about this? But if in your mind you can say this with clarity, listen, I have 
set in my mind. I've asked God to search me, show me where I have defiled myself and allow me to take steps towards a lack of compromise, towards devotion, towards holiness, and to say, God, I want to start making these steps. I want to start doing this. And you begin to start taking small steps. No one's going to see it. There's going to be no fanfare. Why? You didn't mark up your timesheet. Give myself another half hour. Give myself another hour. You didn't say that you were sick when you actually weren't sick and didn't take a sick day as a result, so you didn't get to stay home that day. That was really nice. Or you didn't get to do whatever you wanted to do. There's no fanfare. It's small steps that lead you toward what ultimately God requires of his people. It's those small steps of a lack of compromise that God is working on in our lives. And so what do we see that happens? It says this in verse nine, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Now what's a eunuch? A eunuch is somebody who's been castrated. It's possible that Daniel had been castrated. Uh, We don't know for sure. It's possible that this is just somebody in the king's court and they called them eunuchs. And some of them who dealt with the king's harem, his his women, uh, would have been uh, castrated for obvious reasons. Um, But David could have, could, I'm sorry, Daniel could have been as well, but who knows what he's, what he's dealing with? Who knows what he's going through? He's already been brought into this foreign land. He's already been, uh, you know, taken into captivity. He's been kidnapped, but God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the midst of that. Let's just stop right there for a second and just say that Daniel's Small steps ultimately lead to, as, a, as, a, as someone who hopes in Yahweh, he's essentially, for, uh, for lack of a better term, he's essentially a, a Christian. And in his life, as he is not compromising, and then he plants his flag and he says, like, this is the line and I'm not going past it. I'm not doing it. What takes place is this, is that there is every reason to believe that Daniel was going to lose his head. There's every reason to believe. You don't want the king's meat. You don't want the wine, I mean, the delicacies that come from his house. Oh, my goodness. But do you know what happens when you say, come hell or high water, I lose my job. Come hell or high water, I, I I lose money. I lose the relationship. I lose something. I lose it. I lose business. I lose whatever it takes. I'm putting everything on the line for this. This is God responds to that. Now it's not a formula. You give up this and God will give you that. But what it is is it's saying this: God does honor the choices that we make. 
He doesn't save us because of the good choices that we make. He saves us so that we can make good choices and ultimately honor him. And God's favor continues to shower us through this life. But what's, what is oftentimes the case is someone says, I've been saved by grace and so therefore I don't need to worry about that. And we're defaming the name of Christ in our business and in our lives. We're just defaming him because we're doing whatever we want. But if we were to respond correctly, what takes place is this. God gives favor to Daniel. Now, what is favor? Favor is like grace. In fact, that, that word is often used of grace in the Old Testament. God's favor is shown to Daniel and to his friends. God's favor is shown to them. Favor is the influence that they have in the sight of the eunuchs. Listen to what's so different. I have to go to the strip club with my boss so that I can uh, be in his good graces and so that I can uh, excel in my career. But what God is saying to us through this is that God's favor doesn't come through us compromising and going along with our culture. God's favor comes through us saying this. Like, I'm not going. I'm not a part of that. And what takes place is he ultimately has influence in the lives of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs, and so forth. And what does he do? He says, this is literally, it is against my God if I were to compromise in this way, and I can't do it. And God says, yes, that's right. And he changes the hearts of these guys who are murderers. He changes their hearts. So where are you at today? What job are you in? If I stand up for this in my, in my culture, I'll lose my job. Do you need that job or do you serve the God of the universe? Is he the one that provides for you or is it your job? This book, the book of Daniel, is all about how if God is not sovereign, then we are hosed. We've said this for years. If God doesn't move, we fail. And this is what our viewpoint of our, our jobs and our relationships and everything that we have, our viewpoint has to be this. Like, God, you have to be the one that moves in this situation. Because otherwise, I'm not going to be able to support my family. And God's favor is on that decision. God is real. He is sovereign. He's in control. He can change the hearts of our governor. He can change the hearts of your employer. He can change the heart of anybody. God is in control of these people. And people of faith are just that. I am somebody who has faith in the God of the universe. All other gods are false gods. I see who that God is through the Old Testament scriptures and through Jesus Christ as portrayed in the New Testament. I know this God and I walk with him. And by the way, you don't control my situation. You don't control, control my life. You don't get control my paycheck. God gives me a paycheck through this company, through this business, through this city. God is the one who provides me with relationship. I need nothing else outside of God. God is the provider of all those things. 
And so let me ask you, do you follow God in that way? Or if you drank the Kool-Aid and you're being influenced, and instead of influencing through the power of God, you're being influenced. You're being indoctrinated. You're being led to compromise, and you're living a life of confusion. I want to tell you, I think many of us in this room are in that place. Daniel lives as though he is in God's kingdom, and yet he's in the, he's in the belly of the beast of Babylon. He's working for city government. And temptation comes to him, and he's able to forego it. And it says at the end here, it says, in verse 20, Actually, verse 18, and at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in. So three years, they've gone through this indoctrination. They held on for a long time. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And what's this telling us? It's saying Daniel's advancement didn't come from his compromises. It came from his resolutions. It came from saying, I want to follow God and I'm not going to defile myself in that way. And what, is, what does God do? He, he just pours out on them just this favor. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, they, they were 10 times better. And do we believe that? God, you're the one that can do this. Now, this is, isn't formulaic. You're, I, I don't know if you're going to be wise. I, don't, I can't speak for God. I don't know if you're going to have great understanding. But I can tell you this, that these guys in this situation did what was right. And God honors that. And in fact, I believe he caused it in their life. And he brings about incredible influence in this place. It says this in, uh, in Hebrews 2.17, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Ultimately, guys, when we look at Daniel, Daniel is just a picture of who Jesus is in some ways, a faded picture. Jesus, in his perfection, he is tempted in every way. Satan himself comes and tempts him, and Jesus walks away. And what does Jesus do? Jesus knows the scriptures inside and out, obviously. 
And he quotes back to him. He says, this is what the word of God says. And this is what the word of God says. And this is what the word of God says. And this is what the word of God says. And, and what's happening in those situations? Jesus walks away from it. And in absolute perfection, in every way, he does not sin when tempted. His resolutions were firm. And do you know what those were for? It was so that he could go ultimately and finally to a cross that he didn't deserve. That he didn't deserve. And he goes to that cross and he, he absolutely bleeds out because of all of the dumb decisions that you and I have made for all of the compromise continually. For all of the times that you and I have said, you know what, it doesn't matter this time. It's okay. It's just a little bit. It's just a couple of steps that direction. I'm not really full-blown into that. It's, it's, just, it's just a little bit of fudging. Every one of those decisions, if you today had to stand here and bear the weight and bear the guilt and bear all of that, it would be unbearable because of this, because you can't please God in your present state without Jesus Christ having gone perfectly into this life Essentially, entering our world, entering into the captivity that you and I are in, and living perfectly. And Jesus totally and perfectly does that, and then goes to the cross so that you and I, in all of our compromises, and in all of the ways that we've blown it, and in all of the things that we've come to believe through this indoctrination, he bleeds out for it. He pays the penalty for it. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking and you're saying, you know, I got a lot of stuff to make up for, Pastor Matt. I know in so many different ways that I've blown it. Jesus went to the cross and he said, it is finished. It is finished. And you know, when, when you look to Jesus and, and when you receive him as Savior, you confess Here's all the ways that I've blown it. What it means to be a believer is that when you look at the cross, you say, but it's finished. It's finished. It's over with. All, all my past, the relationships that I, that I shouldn't have been in, that I was in, all my past, Jesus covers all of those things. And you get to live a new life as a result. Not a perfect life necessarily. The aim is the holiness of God. Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, is progressive. It's not instant. It's progressive. We're growing. Are, are you wanting to grow? Or are you sinfully looking at the cross and saying, it's paid for, I'll do whatever I want. You know what? That is not faith in Jesus Christ. That is not are you walking with him? What type of resolutions do you need to make? What type of resolutions do you need to make? You have to decide in advance to make those resolutions. That's why you can't live in isolation because you need to talk about that with other believers and to say this is this is kind of where my life is. I need to make, I need to resolve that I'm not going to. 
Daniel had community with his, with his brothers there. Do you have community? Are you a bench warmer? You just show up to church on Sunday and then you're never involved in any other way? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to criticize you or to mock you or anything like that. I'm here to invite you into community. I'm here to invite you into the life that, that is found in Jesus Christ. What type of resolutions do you need to make? Have you examined your own life? When's the last time that you took some quiet time? When's the last time, or have you ever, just sat down and said, God, search me. Search me. Because I, I love you so much that I, I do not want to offend you with my life. Not because I'm afraid that you're going to let me go, because that can't happen. But because I, I want to love you. I want to love you well. Where am, I, where am I offending you? Have you said that? Have you said, God, would you search me? Will you... Uh, Bow your heads with me. I fear that for some of us, like this might be the only quiet moment that we get. Because church gets over and we bust out the doors and there's, and we are, uh, we're back into life. Would you just take a moment and just say, God, would you search me? If you say to yourself, I don't want God to search me, or I don't know that I want that, you need to ask that question, why don't I want that? Am I afraid of what he's going to find? Just take, take a moment and know that Jesus went to the cross for that. God, I, th I, th I think we need we need to confess as a church that we, we walk away all the time. The words of the old hymn, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I, I fear it. Prone to leave the God I love. God, that is every single one of us. We're, we're just like Israel. We are your people. And we're, we're just constantly walking away from you. But God, some of us have just implanted like a cultural thoughts and beliefs. Like every one of us has to some degree or another. God, we're, we've just been using you to make our life better. Lord, help us to be about you and, and, and what you want to see happen, your kingdom. Lord, convict us of sin. Search us, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way. And lead us in the way of everlasting. 
God, may that be the cry of our hearts to long for you. Your name we pray, amen.